This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. So Republican governors are beginning to speak up following the backlash to news that Roe versus Wade's death is imminent, and they're trying to justify their state's extremist anti-choice laws. Now, it's not enough that they banned abortion in their states because that would be barbaric in and of itself, but their laws on abortion are so restrictive that they don't even have exceptions for rape or sexual assault. So Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, is going to go on national TV and explain how his heart goes out to the victims of rape and incest. But unfortunately, you know, he signed that bill into law and now you can't get an abortion in the state of Arkansas if you were raped or you're the victim of incest. And even if, you know, that wasn't the case, you still should be able to have control over your own bodily autonomy. But just look at how extreme and barbaric their way of thinking is. Take a look. What would you say to those women who seek an abortion, who don't have the money to travel, who don't have the money to raise a child? What would you say to them? Well, first of all, again, that's where uh, your heart goes out to them. I've had to deal with those very difficult circumstances of, of rape and incest as a governor, and uh, it's difficult. And so you have to understand that. You have to provide services, and I believe that uh, we want to increase the services for maternal health, to increase the uh, services for adoption services as well. And so we want to invest in those areas that will help those uh, women with very difficult uh, uh, circumstances of the pregnancy. Uh, but secondly, I think to your point, uh, the rape and incest uh, exceptions will continue to be a part of the debate. Uh, right now, uh, we do not have rape and incest as exceptions under the Arkansas trigger law, but there's, uh, I think that will be a part of the debate. Would you I've like to see those exceptions? Those exceptions are important. Yes, I expressed whenever I signed the law that I would prefer the rape and incest exceptions to be in there. And even though we have the trigger law, I expect those exceptions to be a significant part of the debate in the future, even though uh, we're going to immediately go to restrict abortions uh, in the exceptions with the exception of the life of the mother in danger. Why do you he really wishes that the exceptions for uh, rape and incest were in the bill that he chose to sign into law? But they're not. So, you know, I'm sure that the women who were raped who can't get abortions in Arkansas will take comfort knowing that your heart goes out to them. What we're listening to here is a sociopath. That individual is a sociopath. As governor, he chose to sign that bill into law. And now he's saying, well, the way that we're dealing with it is we're basically like trying to help with adoption somehow. We're going to force every single victim of rape and incest to carry that fetus to term. But I mean, my heart goes out to you. Hope that means something. I mean, it's almost as idiotic as when the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, said, uh, you know, in response to a question about rape or incest, oh, we're just going to get rid of rape 
in the state of Texas. We're going to make sure that these rapists fear for their lives or something to that effect, like I'm paraphrasing, but they're so immature, so unrealistic, so idiotic and barbaric in their way of thinking that we should be embarrassed that politicians like this are in prominent positions of power in their states. Now, I want to go to Mississippi, where Governor Tate Reeves, who looks like a younger version of Mitch McConnell and has all the same evil policies as him, uh, is going to explain uh, his state's abortion ban, which does not include exceptions for incest. He's going to explain why, you know, this is good, apparently. Take a look. So the snapback law in two, that was passed in 2007 has no uh, exception for incest. So assuming that the Supreme Court uh, overturns Roe v. Wade, uh, the state of Mississippi will force girls and women who are the victims of incest to carry those tryouts to term. Can you explain why that is going to be your law? Well, that's going to be the law because in 2007, the Mississippi legislature passed it. I, I will tell you, Jake, um, and this sort of speaks to how far the, the Democrats in Washington have come on this issue. But in 2007, when the trigger law was put in place, uh, we had a Democrat Speaker of the House and we had a Democrat Chairman of the Public Health Committee in the Mississippi House yeah. of Representatives. But uh, why, why are you going to particular piece of legislation? Why is it acceptable in your and state so, to force girls who are victims of incest to carry those child children to term? Well, as you know, Jake, um, over 92 percent of all abortions in America are elective procedures. Um, when you look at the number of of those that actually are involved incest, it's less than one percent. And if we need to have that conversation in the future about potential this is uh, exceptions law. in the trigger law, we can certainly do that. But the reality is that, again, that affects less than 1% of all abortions in America well, on an annual basis. Okay, but that is going to be the law of Mississippi. Let me ask you, what about a fetus that has serious or fatal abnormalities that will not allow that fetus to live outside the womb? Is the state of Mississippi going to force those girls and women who have this tragedy inside them to carry the child to term? Are you going to force them to do that? Well, Jake, I'll tell you, I think that, that these questions uh, illustrate exactly what we've been talking about, and that is you're dealing in, in uh, examples that are rare and are a very small percentage of the overall abortions. And the reason for that is because when you talk to Americans, regardless of what the, what the polling says with respect to overturning Roe v. Wade, the vast majority of Americans recognize that the abortion laws in America right now, that is what are extreme. America's abortion laws are uh, extreme relative to the rest of the Western world. Yeah. You know that even if the court did not overturn Roe, Jake, even if the court did not overturn Roe, even if they just decided to uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban, that 39 out of 42 countries in Europe would still have more I, restrictive abortion laws. Yeah. The vast majority of Americans support restrictions that are reasonable on abortions and the overturning of Roe is simply going to return those decision-making processes to the states back to and the individual right. legislatures and, in yeah, all 50 and, I'm, states. and I'm asking you about this the law in your state and the exceptions that the law does not offer to Mississippi women and girls who are victims of incest who have uh, uh, fetuses that have fatal or very serious abnormalities uh, which is not really all that rare, to be honest. I mean, I know plenty of women that that has happened to, and they had to, to you know, they wanted to have a healthy child, but they weren't able to 
uh, and your law would force them to carry it, the child to term. Notice how he couldn't justify it. He had to change the conversation, do whataboutism. Oh, it's actually the Democrats who are extreme. No, it's you who is extreme in this instance. You're a fucking barbarian. You are a barbarian. You are a caveman. You are a disgusting, psychopathic individual who should not have power. And you're trying to talk about the Democrats being extreme. Oh, well, when we did all of these terrible things, Democrats were in control uh, in this state. And I, I approve of it, but the Democrats were in control. Okay, fuck those Democrats. They're bad people. But you're the governor of this state. So there are no exceptions for victims of incest. Justify it. Try to do that, I dare you. And he can't. So he didn't. So he talked about how, um, you know, the restrictions that Americans support on abortion, like this is, this is very common. And that's not wrong. Americans do support restrictions on abortion, but they supported the restrictions imposed in Roe v. Wade. Nobody is saying, hey, you know what? If a woman changes her mind when she's eight and a half months pregnant, she should be able to abort that baby. Nobody is arguing for that. Nobody's arguing for that. Now, they'd respond by saying, well, oh, well, what about late-term abortions? Late-term ab abortions are incredibly rare, and they're only a thing because it's necessary to save the life of the mother. So they give the mother that choice, you or your baby. And it's a horrible decision, but Republicans, they like to use those rare examples to explain why abortion is so bad. But yet here he is saying that um, his draconian law is necessary because, you know, these incest cases, they're only 1% of pregnancies. And even if that's the case, the 1% just... Fuck them. If it's only 1%, then perhaps you don't have to be as extreme in your anti-choice views that you could permit that 1% to allow, uh, to get uh, abortions. But he is just, their brains, uh, they don't function like you and I, right? You would think logically, okay, so they're so extreme against abortions. In states like Louisiana, they want to charge women with homicide. So what are these governors doing to actually limit the number of unwanted pregnancies in the first place? Are they expanding access to contraception? So in the state of Mississippi, if he's really that extreme when it comes to abortion, what he could do is allow free contraception to all Mississippi residents. So is he going to do that? Well, no, because uh, lawmakers in Mississippi want to ban contraception. Now, he's, go he's going to say, oh, no, that's not on the agenda right now, but understand that the one thing that will prevent unwanted pregnancies that lead to abortion in the first place, that's also going to be a target of the GOP. He does not rule it out. Listen very carefully to what he says here when asked. But just to be clear, the state of Mississippi, you're not going to then target uh, IUD or Plan B, which are methods of birth control that might not allow a fertilized egg to be implanted. And this is not a theoretical construct. This is not, a, a you know, in the state of Louisiana, which I recognize is a neighboring state, not your state, I mean, they're talking about uh, not only criminally charging uh, girls and women who get abortions uh, as, you know, as, as being committing homicide, but they're also talking about defining the moment uh, of conception as fertilization, which would theoretically, if this were to become the law of Louisiana, and it is not yet, uh, mean that murder, if you use an IUD, you are committing murder theoretically. So it's, it's not... I'm not making this up. This is th these are the conversations going on in legislatures in your in your area. But so just to be clear, you have no intention of seeking to ban IUDs or Plan B. That that is not what we are focused on at this time. We're we're focused on uh, looking at see what the court allows for. Uh, the the bill that is before the court is a 15 week ban. We we believe that that the overturning of Roe is the correct 
decision by the court. And, and so in Mississippi, we don't, we don't have laws on the books that would lead to uh, arresting uh, individuals uh, or, or anything along those lines. Well, how reasonable. You know, they're not going to charge women with murder. They're just going to make sure that uh, victims of rape and incest are uh, forced to carry the fetus of their abuser to term. <laughs> what do you even say? Now, he said, um, you know, that they're not looking at banning contraception at this time, at this time. But in a month or two from now, it's on the table. They're already talking about this. They want to do it. Now, he can't necessarily do that right now because it's unconstitutional. But what we're going to likely see is the same thing that we saw in the lead up to Roe's demise. We're going to see one state propose some sort of a ban on contraception in an effort to basically go the Supreme Court into revisiting Griswold v. Connecticut. And then this far right extremist Supreme Court will indeed overturn that, thus paving the way for these states to not just ban abortion, but ban the one thing that prevents abortion, contraception. So what we're listening to here, these interviews that we watched, these are from sociopathic barbarians. They are barbarians. They are extremists instituting draconian laws that are going to kill women. But they're pro-life, don't you worry. They care about life. They're so pro-life that they want to fucking kill women. That's what these laws are going to do. They're forcing women to go back to coat hanger abortions and back alleys. But they're very pro-life. They care about life. They're literally just anti-woman and they are anti-choice extremists. These are theocrats who want to impose their minoritarian views on everyone in society. It doesn't matter what the state is. No state has more than 30% of support for overturning Roe v. Wade, but they are going to impose their theocratic fascistic beliefs on everyone. And they will continue to do this and push the envelope even further until Americans stand up once and for all and say enough is enough. That was a video of protesters demonstrating outside of the home of Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Now, there was about a hundred people reportedly, and they also walked about a half mile to Chief Justice John Roberts' house as well. Apparently, they live relatively close, so it was easy. Uh, so I have a lot to talk about with regard to this, but before we do that, I've got one more video for you. You love to see it. Now, um, what came next was predictable. Pearl clutching. Lots and lots of pearl clutching. Of course, Republicans are all up in arms and they're claiming that the violent mob is trying to bully the Supreme Court. I mean, this is exactly what we'd expect them to talk about. They're going to shift the outrage from the leaker to this because they definitely do not want to talk about the substance of what the Supreme Court did. But, you know, one thing that is more irritating to me is the pearl clutching from liberals. For example, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki tweeted, the president strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest, but that should never include violence, threats, or vandalism. Judges perform an incredibly important function in our society, and they must be able to do their jobs without concern for their personal safety. 
In other words, they should be able to impose their minoritarian views on all of us, views that are so extreme and barbaric that they literally will lead to women dying. But make sure that when you speak out against these unelected tyrants, you're incredibly civil and polite. Don't show up at their homes ever in protest, even though what they're doing is going to kill people. Yeah, um, no thanks. Uh, but what's interesting is that that sentiment is very widespread with members of the Senate, apparently, because they are so concerned about the safety of the Supreme Court justices that Republican John Cornyn and Democrat Chris Coons teamed up for a bipartisan bill, uh, and they're going to try to rush this through, and this bill would essentially provide all Supreme Court justices with around-the-clock security, and this also includes security for their families. Um, how much is this going to cost, and how are we going to pay for that? Because I'm told that we can't afford to do anything that helps Americans. We can't ameliorate poverty. We can't have the child tax credit. We can't cancel student debt. So how are we going to pay for this? Where are we going to get the money for this? Also, isn't it a little bit stunning how quickly they'll move when it's an issue that affects them? Biden ally and Democrat Chris Coons is teaming up with a Republican to pass a law that protects Supreme Court justices and gives them security. Oh, well, what about the security for abortion providers, women getting abortions? What about the security of women who are going to be forced to deal with uh, back, back alley coat hanger abortions again? Do you not care about them at all or just the elites? Well, I mean, I think that we all know the answer to that. We all know the answer to that. As these uh, unelected tyrants fuck you over, you're supposed to just take it lying down and be polite. Don't speak up too much. Don't be too loud. Don't use any naughty words. Otherwise, the civility police is going to come for you. And that includes Democrats as well. Rather than fighting for you currently, this is what is being prioritized. Let's give Supreme Court justices around-the-clock security. They're not the ones who are insecure right now. They're not. It's women. It's marginalized communities, it's immigrants, LGBTQ plus people. They're the ones who need security, not these elites, not these tyrants. Because as Caitlin Burns put it, Brett Kavanaugh is safer in his own home during these protests than any abortion clinic worker in this country on a daily basis. And that's exactly correct. We have no way of choosing who's on the Supreme Court. We don't get to elect justices. We can barely choose who gets to choose who's on the fucking Supreme Court, given how broken our democracy is with no voting rights, with gerrymandering, with institutions that favor the Republican Party. So people have no other way of making their voices heard. So they protest and they're protesting in front of these houses peacefully. They weren't threatening violence in front of uh, these houses, but yet all of a sudden, just the mere presence of protesters in front of their houses uh, is going to warrant this immediate action to give them around-the-clock security. It's truly unbelievable. Listen, as far as I see it, this is absolutely good. And the only critique that I have of the protests is that they weren't there for longer and there weren't more people and they weren't at every Supreme Court justice's house who did this. Because let's be clear here, they are imposing what they want, their minority views on all of society. So we have no way to hold them accountable. So uh, they should expect to be heckled at every public event they speak at. They should expect protesters at their home every single fucking day for the rest of their lives, given how egregious what they're doing is. Everywhere they go, every restaurant that they show up to, they should be ashamed to show their faces in public because people will heckle them as soon as they see them. Because that's how bad these tyrants are. We have no accountability over them, no way to get them out of office. We can't even hold an insurrectionist on the Supreme Court accountable. So what the fuck else are we supposed to do? 
just sit down and take it? I don't think so. These protesters who showed up are heroes, in my opinion. Now, I want to get to some reactions here. As Shannon Coulter writes, Christine Blasey Ford has had to move four times since the Kavanaugh hearing, and I'm supposed to feel bad he has some protesters outside his house? Exactly. And in response to Jen Psaki, Bree Newsom adds, everything comes back to the bipartisan white power structure asserting its own monopoly over violence. We must accept the premise there is a proper civilized way to engage in mass violence, and that is solely through institutions established and controlled by the ruling white elite, an undemocratic body of judges first established by colonizers and slaveholders currently includes justices who are arguably unqualified, were forced in against the will of voters, face accusations of sexual assault, and or are implicated in an attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. Yet, we must pretend this collection of individuals stripping millions of their bodily autonomy is civilized simply because they don formal black robes and call themselves honorable. It's just another example of how brutal state violence is normalized every day in this country with the seemingly mundane processes of government. And Bree is exactly right there. As they ignore crises that kill us, as they impose their will on all of us that kills women, we're supposed to be polite. We're supposed to be civilized never speak out the way that you address this is by voting fuck that okay sure we'll vote but understand that our power to affect change via the vote is waning and democrats currently in control of both branches of congress have not passed voting rights so our ability to affect change democratically uh through institutions it's limited and it's going to get worse as time goes on. So the only way that citizens can actually make their voices heard is by showing up to the homes of these Supreme Court justices and making their lives uncomfortable. I'm not saying that they go to their homes and do violence against them. That's not what I'm advocating for. I'm saying they go to their homes and they protest every single day to make them as miserable as they're making everyone else in society. So spare me the pearl clutching to anyone who's sitting here telling people to be polite as this government fucks us over again again and again and again fuck your civility politics shove it up your ass i'm done if you want to affect change in this country it's very clear that you have to make the lives of these elites hell and these protesters are doing just that and for that reason i think that they're heroes in my opinion Republicans are trying to downplay the significance of Roe v. Wade being overturned by saying, look, it's not like abortions will cease to exist altogether in America because there are still many states that will allow abortions. And we're simply returning this issue back to the states as it always should have been. The problem is that they're lying. And even before we learned that the death of Roe was imminent, they vocalized their intent to introduce a federal six-week abortion ban like the one in Texas if they retake control of Congress. Now, currently with the Democratic administration, Biden can easily veto that. But if they win back the White House in 2024, what do you think they're going to do? Exactly what they've told us they want to do for decades. They don't care about states' rights. They want to impose their minoritarian views on all of us. And Mitch McConnell is already saying, yeah, we might just do that. As Lexi Lonas of The Hill explains, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said in an interview Tuesday with USA Today that a national abortion ban is possible if Roe v. Wade gets overturned this summer. Quote, if the leaked opinion became the final opinion, legislative bodies not only at the state level, but at the federal level certainly could legislate in that area, McConnell told USA Today when asked if a national abortion ban is worthy of debate quote and if this were the final decision that was the point that it should be resolved one way or another in the legislative process so yeah it's possible he concluded yeah so there you heard it from the horse's mouth 
if they retake power, it's a possibility that they ban abortion in all 50 states. And it's not really a possibility. I'd say that this is just more of a certainty at this point. Let's assume for a minute that they actually do this. What's going to happen? Well, blue states will fight this in court, and then the Supreme Court will gladly take up that issue, and then they'll say what they said recently. Yeah, we just told you that there's no right to an abortion in the Constitution, so this is fine. You can ban abortion literally in all 50 states, and if you don't like it, too bad. What are you going to do? Try to hold us accountable? Try to uh, impeach us? I mean, we have an insurrectionist on the Supreme Court, and there's zero accountability for him, so there's nothing you can do. We will impose our minoritarian views on you, and if you don't like it, tough. Now, you know, it goes beyond just a federal abortion ban. There are some states who want to go the extra mile and punish women severely for getting abortions. For example, in Louisiana, they've introduced legislation that would allow women to be charged with murder if they're guilty of having an abortion. You heard that right. Now, because this law would extend personhood to a fetus the moment it's fertilized, this could mean that women who have miscarriages may also have to prove their innocence. It could criminalize in vitro fertilization. It could mean that deadly ectopic pregnancies that endanger the lives of mothers could lead to criminal charges. Who knows? And in a Texas runoff race, the issue of giving women the death penalty for abortion has become one of the most salient issues because they're so pro-life they will literally fucking kill you if you get an abortion yeah but that's not all because now we're looking at the likelihood of more travel bans for women Yes, you've heard that correctly. I mean, Christian theocracy is coming to fruition in this country one state at a time. They want to stop women from traveling to other states by um, trying to find ways to make that constitutionally permissible. But it's it's unconstitutional. But what they're trying to do is uh, basically uh, make it illegal for employers to incentivize this. For example, Marco Rubio has introduced legislation that makes it illegal for employers to reimburse employees for travel expenses if they choose to pursue an abortion out of state. So they're saying, you know what, if this is part of your healthcare package for your employee, you can't do that. Not acceptable. And this ban would also apply to parents who seek gender-affirming care out of state as well. And travel bans on women who want to leave the state to get abortions are going to become very common soon because of the situation that they've created but because this is extremely unconstitutional explicitly so what they're trying to do is uh basically punish people so so they're disincentivizing anyone who helps women leave the state to get an abortion i'm not sure what the implications of this is but if you live in one of these states perhaps if you donate to a gofundme to help a woman uh get a plane ticket to go to a blue state to get an abortion you could be held liable as well we don't know how far this is going to go but i promise you it will get more barbaric and draconian as time goes on now you'd think well okay Okay, if they really care this much about abortions and they want to stop abortions, it would make contraception free and widely available. But nope, they're targeting that as well. As Steve Bannon of MSNBC explains, Republican legislators in Louisiana are working on an abortion ban that would arguably criminalize in vitro fertilization and forms of birth control. Republican legislators in Idaho are currently weighing new restrictions on some forms of contraception. Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee recently denounced Griswold v. Connecticut, a 1965 case that struck down a state law that restricted 
married couples access to birth control. Each of the Republican candidates running for a state attorney general in Michigan also denounced the Griswold precedent. Blake Masters, a Republican U.S. Senate candidate in Arizona, not only denounced the Griswold precedent, he told voters that he'll only vote to confirm judges who agree with him. So notice how they've continued to shift the goalpost. It started with them saying, look, we simply just want to return the issue of abortion back to the states. And now it's, mm, well, maybe we'll charge women who have abortions with homicide. Maybe we'll also ban contraception because uh, we're so anti-abortion that we want to ban the thing that prevents abortions. I mean, they're not just going to come out and say that they hate women and they want to control their bodies, but that's what they're doing. They're trying to make women second-class citizens in this country. And the situation will get more barbaric and deteriorate even further unless Americans stand up and say, we're not going to take this. We're not going to live under your minoritarian, theocratic, fascist, Christian nationalist state. Fuck you. We're not going to take this. But they think that Americans are just going to lie down and accept whatever. It doesn't matter how bad it gets, how many rights they deny you and take away from you that you fought for. They're going to continue to push and push and push because they've created this perfect situation for themselves where they can essentially do whatever they want and get away with it. Think about it. Right now, even though Democrats are absolutely feckless, they have to overwin in order to get elected because of the way that the electoral map has been rigged in favor of Republicans, right? They've gerrymandered, they've restricted voting rights, they have the Electoral College on their side when it comes to presidential elections. So they essentially have created the situation where they've all but killed democracy. I mean, we still have the right to vote, even though it's getting harder, but our voting power is diminishing rapidly. And the window to act has basically passed already because Democrats have proven that they're not going to do jack fucking shit. So Republicans, they can be as tyrannical as they want to. These unelected Supreme Court justices can be as tyrannical as they want to, and they know there will never be accountability for their actions. I mean, we have a, an insurrectionist on the Supreme Court, and is there any fear or worry from him that he's going to get impeached? Of course not. So they can do anything they want to and understand that, you know, it wasn't liberal hyperbole when they claimed that they want to do like the Handmaid's Tale and turn the U.S. into Gilead. They actually want to do that. They're proving that currently. It wasn't liberal hysteria to claim that they want to make the United States the Handmaid's Tale. If they're going to continue to push this path forward, then they're not just going to stop at controlling what women are able to do with their body. They're also going to control what women can can't wear dress everything like do you think that there's a limit to their depravity and how theocratic they're willing to become if you do then you are incredibly naive so this is just the beginning it will continue to get worse unless americans all collectively say we don't accept this we reject your minority views being imposed on all of us Republican Senator Susan Collins, who is partially responsible for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, noticed a message near her home in Maine, which reads, Susie, please, Mainers want the Women's Health Protection Act. Vote yes. Clean up your mess. Now, we're going to talk about her response in a second, but I just want to give you some context here and why they wrote this message. So this is someone who claimed that anti-choice justices like Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch would not overturn Roe v. Wade. How does she know this? Well, because they 
told her so. So when she found out that they did indeed vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, her response was that really, you know, them doing that is completely inconsistent with what they told her when they were banking on her support. Yeah, it's almost like they'll say anything to get a lifetime appointment. And then once they're on, they know that there's nothing that you can do to get them off the court. So, you know, what she could be doing is trying to lead the charge to impeach them. But at a minimum, what she can do right now to really try to right the wrong that she helped to create is support the Democratic Party's efforts to codify Roe v. Wade's law. But she's not going to do that as well. As Forbes explains, Senator Susan Collins will not support a bill to codify abortion rights into federal law when it comes up for a vote next week. This was written last week, by the way. She told reporters Thursday, reiterating her belief that the Women's Health Protection Act goes too far despite the Supreme Court appearing poised to soon overturn Roe v. Wade and let states outlaw abortion. So she was fooled into believing that these far-right theocrats that she voted for wouldn't actually do what we all knew that they would do. And now when she has the opportunity to right the wrong, she's choosing to not do that because bogus reasons. So that's why they wrote this message. Your constituents are telling you, please do the right thing. You created this mess. You put women in this predicament. Now fix it. And she's not doing that. So they sent her that message. And how did she respond? By calling the cops literally because of chalk on sidewalk. She actually called the police. As Kenny Stansel of Common Dreams explains, Senator Susan Collins summoned the cops to her house over the weekend to complain about a sidewalk chalk message urging her to vote for the Women's Health Protection Act, which would codify the abortion rights now in peril thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court's right-wing majority, something the main Republican played a key role in solidifying. Police arrived at Collins' home at 9.20 p.m. on Saturday, the Bangor Daily News reported Monday. The message, which Bangor Police spokesperson Wade Betters described as not overtly threatening, said, Susie, please, Manners want WHPA, vote yes, clean up your mess. By Monday afternoon, the sidewalk chalk had been washed away. We are grateful to the Bangor police officers and the city public works employee who responded to the defacement of public property in front of our home, said Collins. Defacement of public property. It was chalk, you gigantic fucking baby. They sell this at stores for children. They use chalk to write on sidewalk, and the reason why it's great is because it washes away and it's already gone. But you called the police. Okay, did she not think that it was chalk? Did she think that somebody spray painted that in front of her house? I don't understand why she had this overreaction and felt the need to call the police. What, because they were near your home? I mean, we're seeing public officials across the country get protests at their homes. So, I mean, is this the first time it's happened to you? It's just what a bizarre way to react to this. This is your constituent saying, hey, Susan, you fucked up. Fix it. And your response is to freak out and call the cops. I mean, this isn't about you, Susan. This is about the women who you fucked over by voting for anti-choice justices. And, you know, you are admitting essentially that Brett Kavanaugh lied to you. But uh, if he lied about that, what else did he lie about? Are you going to live with the fact, uh, are you going to be comfortable living with the fact, Susan, that you voted for an alleged rapist? If he lied about Roe, maybe he lied about that too. Is it possible, maybe? 
ridiculous. Now, just to remind you how confident Susan Collins was that uh, Brett Kavanaugh would definitely not overturn Roe v. Wade, take a look at how many times she reiterated that she has the utmost confidence in him, that he is going to respect precedent and a woman's right to choose. Take a look. I do not believe that Brett Kavanaugh will overturn His precedents Roe are overturned. He noted that Roe had been reaffirmed 19 years later by Planned Parenthood versus Casey and that it was precedent on precedent. He said it should be extremely rare that it be overturned and it should be an example. So you have obviously us. full confidence. I do. We talked about whether he considered Roe to be settled law. He said that he agreed with what Justice Roberts said at his nomination hearing in which he said that it was settled law. I could not vote for a judge who had demonstrated hostility to Roe v. Wade because it would indicate a lack of respect for precedent. What Judge Kavanaugh told me, and he's the first Supreme Court nominee that I've interviewed out of six who has told me this, is that he views precedent not just as a legal doctrine, but as rooted in our Constitution and he reveres our Constitution. I asked him, is it sufficient if five current sitting justices believe that Roe should be overturned? And he said, no. I would not support a nominee who demonstrated hostility to Roe v. Wade because that would mean to me that their judicial philosophy did not include a respect for established decision. Judge Kavanaugh is the first Supreme Court nominee to express the view that precedent is not merely a practice and tradition, but rooted in Article Three of our Constitution itself. I will vote to confirm Judge Kavanaugh. Embarrassing. She was the only person in the country who didn't see what we all saw. And when he does what we all told her he would do, then it surprised Pikachu face. She claims, oh my God, I can't believe that he would do this. Really? You can't believe that he would do this? You can't believe that a Supreme Court justice would lie to get confirmed? I mean, you're just, if you actually are being honest with your reactions to this news, I can't not think that you're a stupid person. Like, I have to assume you have a low IQ because you can't be that naive and be a sitting senator. Like, you should resign because if you actually cared about your uh, constituents, then you should give them someone who's actually competent with functioning brain cells to represent them, to have that seat. But I mean, this is what we're dealing with. She's probably not the dumbest member of the Senate. In fact, I'm, I'm certain she's not the dumbest member of the Senate, but this is what we are dealing with. Absolutely outraged that Brett Kavanaugh would do what we all thought that he would do and knew that he would do, but then won't take the opportunity that she has to fix the mess. And then she screeches at the top of her lungs and calls the cops like a Karen when people go to her home and write a chalk message on her sidewalk. What a complete petulant child Susan Collins is. Embarrassing. Pathetic. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi recently spoke at the Aspen Ideas Climate Conference in Miami, Florida, and she had a message to the Republican Party, which was um, a wee bit tone deaf given everything that's happening currently in the country. Take a look. I mean, the fossil fuel industry, it, 
They weigh in so significantly. I mean, how could it be that nobody on the Senate side cares, on the, in the Senate cares about climate? Some of them do, and they talk about it. When it comes to the votes, it just isn't there. They just aren't there. So rather than saying, well, we have to defeat them, no, let's just try to persuade them. I want the Republican Party to take back the party, take it back to where you were, where you cared about a woman's right to choose, and you cared about the environment, and all. Here I am, Nancy Pelosi, saying this country needs a strong Republican Party, and we do. Not a cult, but a strong Republican Party. Counterpoint, no, it does not. We do not need a strong Republican Party. We have a very, very strong Republican Party. So strong that they are now imposing their theocratic beliefs on all of the country, and they're not currently even in power. You know what we need? You know what would be really nice, Nancy Pelosi? Is if we had a strong Democratic Party, an opposition to fight against these fascists who are ruining this country, destroying democracy, stripping away voting rights, attacking marginalized people day after day after day in state legislatures across the country if we had a strong opposition to the republican party then we'd be in better shape i don't know what she expects the republican party to be stronger than it is currently what because they have a bunch of psychopaths that have taken over their party that they need to be strong and take it back from them this is who they are nancy pelosi you just don't want to accept it this is who they've always been this is the republican party it's not as if, you know, they used to be good, as she suggests, and they just turned bad. They've always been this way. Have you not been around? I mean, she's existed much longer than me. Does she not remember all of the things that happened throughout the Reagan era, the way that Republicans have consistently targeted our social safety net, stripped away the New Deal benefits that our previous generations have benefited from i mean it's preposterous that the speaker of the house that the leader of the democratic party would say we need a strong republican party when they are absolutely strong they're stronger than the democratic party that's why we're in this predicament currently so she says uh, rather than saying we have to defeat them no let's just try to persuade them let's just try to persuade them this is what you've all been doing for a very long time nancy and how's that paying off they just voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they're going to go even further. They're essentially criminalizing trans existence in certain states. They will continue to strip away LGBTQ plus rights, women's rights. So how are you going to persuade them? They've already made up their minds. You're not going to persuade them to do jack fucking shit. You can't even persuade people in your own party to go along with your agenda. So how are you going to get Republicans to go along with it? I mean, how many times... Are they going to suggest that they can work with Republicans and convince them and then have Republicans spit in their faces and then turn around and say, well, we should try that one more time at least. How about you actually fight as a Democrat? She's currently campaigning for Henry Cuellar, an anti-abortion Democrat. And this anti-abortion Democrat is running against a progressive woman who Nancy Pelosi and Democratic Party leadership refused to endorse. And this supposedly pro-life individual denied maternity leave to one of his staffers, and then she ended up having a stillborn child as a result of this supposed pro-life individual who she's campaigning for. Why don't you worry about the Democratic Party and how you all only fight when it's against the left 
and stop worrying about the Republican Party. They are psychopaths. They are extremists. And this is who they've always been. But they, she doesn't understand. Like, she actually thinks that they were good before. She says, I want the Republican Party to take back the party where you were when you cared about a woman's right to choose. When the fuck was that, Nancy Pelosi? When was that? Was there ever a point in history where the Republican Party was actually pro-choice? When was that? <laughs> um when you cared about the environment. Again, when did Republicans care about the environment, Nancy Pelosi? I mean, the most that you can say is that Richard Nixon created the Environmental Protection Agency, but that is the sole thing that Republicans have ever done with regard to protecting the environment. And when they're in power, they fuck up the EPA. They install fossil fuel shills into that position to make sure that the environment isn't actually being protected. So in what deluded world is she living in to think that in the past, Republicans weren't that bad? They've always been bad, Nancy Pelosi. It's just that you're a Republican yourself in actuality, like you're conservative. You used to be progressive. There was a world where Nancy Pelosi was very progressive before where she supported single payer healthcare. But now she sees that, you know, well, I'm a conservative and Republicans are to my right. So it must be that they were good before. No, that's not actually the case. They were never good. They were always demons. They were always ghouls. And you enabled them. You were complicit in all of their attacks on us by not fucking fighting, by saying things like this to legitimize them. They should never be legitimized. These are fascists. And trying to persuade fascists isn't going to go very well for you, Nancy Pelosi. It's not going well currently. And because we don't have a strong Democratic Party, we're in this situation where our democracy is essentially dying in front of us. And there's almost nothing that we can do at this point. And this was all explained in a brilliant Twitter thread by Bryn Tannehill, who writes, just a reminder, because of non-proportional representation and demographics, in order to break the filibuster and overcome the R plus six to seven bias in the Senate, Democrats would need to win three straight elections by 19 points to make abortion legal nationally. They need to win the national vote several times in a row by five plus points to have a shot at breaking even. Most forecasters look at the 2024 landscape and don't think there's much of a chance for Democrats to hold the Senate past the 2024 election. Mitch McConnell has promised that if Republicans regain control of the Senate in 2022, that he will not let Biden put any more Supreme Court justices on the bench. He would keep seats open for up to six years if he had to. Starting in January of 2023, there is probably no meaningful hope of changing the composition of the court. It is estimated that the U.S.'s already sky-high maternal mortality rate will rise by 21% as a result of Dobbs v. Jackson. This is the current case about the Mississippi law, where the Supreme Court will be overturned turning Roe v. Wade, by the way. Most states are so gerrymandered that changing the composition of the state legislature is effectively impossible. The GOP has been able to maintain supermajorities in the Wisconsin legislature despite losing elections by up to 10 points. Because SCOTUS has approved political gerrymanders in most states that ban abortion, there is no realistic hope of reversing these bans by voting out the incumbents who put the bans in place. Only 8% of U.S. House seats are competitive due to gerrymandering. A few states allow voter-initiated ballot initiatives or state constitutional amendments. However, SCOTUS has allowed state legislatures to effectively overturn them. Example, Floridians voted to restore the voting rights of felons overwhelmingly. The gerrymandered state legislature turned around and passed the law requiring felons to prove they have paid all court fees before rights can be restored. Problem is, records in Florida are so sloppy that it is effectively impossible to do so. This requirement is as fair as a 1950s literacy test to vote, and thus the ballot initiative was thwarted by politicians who cannot be voted out of office 
aided and abetted by a SCOTUS put in place by presidents who lost the popular vote. There are very few good options for bringing back abortion rights after Dobbs v. Jackson. The U.S. political and legal system is so broken that it is completely immune to the will of the people. A lot of legal-minded folks can see the writing on the wall. And the thread goes on. She explains how essentially Republicans have taken this already flawed system, which disproportionately favors them, and they've molded it even more in their image. They've made it so that way if you're dissatisfied with government, you really don't have a good way of affecting change in the United States, which is supposed to be a democracy. So our voting powers have diminished substantially, even though, you know, if you look at demographics, if you look at the population of the U.S. and what we believe, well, it should be the case that Republicans never get elected, but they've broken our system and they've molded it in their favor. And Nancy Pelosi is saying we need a strong Republican Party as if we don't already have a very strong Republican Party. And the response from Democrats is, well, vote harder. Well, you didn't pass voting rights. The House might have passed voting rights, so Nancy Pelosi gets a pass here, but she can actually put pressure on Biden. I'm sure she has his ear as the Speaker of the House to say, hey, maybe you should try fighting once again to get rid of the filibuster, maybe put more pressure on Manchin and Cinema, because we're not going to have another opportunity to pass voting rights. Once we lose the House or Senate, if we lose the House or Senate this fall, that's it. It's over. They secure power, at least one branch of government, for the foreseeable future. And then what? You're just going to keep telling us to vote harder? We can't keep voting harder. You can't beat fascists by voting them out of office when they've rigged the fucking system in their favor. So, no, we don't need a strong Republican Party. Having a strong Republican Party is what we have now, and it's been catastrophic. They're so strong that they're imposing their will on everyone. We need a strong opposition party to protect us from the breakdown of democracy and not fundraise off of it, not see the overturning of Roe v. Wade as an opportunity to raise money off of your constituents who are scared right now. We need you to fight right now. We need you to stop talking about the, what the Republicans were or should be and actually lead your fucking party. Today, the Senate voted on the Women's Health Protection Act, and expectedly, it failed in a 49 to 51 vote. This was their attempt to codify Roe. Nobody expected it to actually succeed because it needed 60 votes, and uh, it bombed. Even supposedly pro-choice Republicans Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski voted against this, and also the Republicans got the support of one Democrat who joined them in blocking this particular bill. Take a guess as to who that is. Just guess. Mr. Manchin, Mr. Manchin, no. You guessed right, because as CNBC explains, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin joins GOP to block abortion rights bill that would codify Roe v. Wade. So what this tells us is that even if they got rid of the filibuster to hold a vote on this, it would still fail because Manchin is anti-choice. He'd side with the Republicans. See, if they had Manchin on board and they got rid of the, rid of the filibuster, then that would be a 50-50 split. The vice president, Kamala Harris, would cast the tie-breaking vote, and then they would successfully be able to codify Roe v. Wade into law with the Women's Health Protection Act. But that's not happening because a Democrat voted with Republicans. I mean, there used to be these uh, 
blue dog Democrats that were essentially socially liberal but fiscally conservative. Joe Manchin is both fiscally conservative and socially conservative as well. So what exactly is the point of him being in this party? It makes no sense that he's a Democrat. Makes no sense whatsoever. He's even blocking abortion rights and he's a Democrat. It's just, it's ridiculous. Now, there is an important lesson to be learned about this because prior to the vote, there was one anti-choice Democrat, Senator Bob Casey, and it was really unclear as to where he'd vote. But there were some activists who decided to stage a sit-in in his office, and they almost certainly changed his mind. As Kenny Stansel of Common Dreams explains, progressive activists occupied Democratic Senator Bob Casey's office in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on Tuesday, after which the historically anti-choice lawmaker announced his intention to vote for the Women's Health Protection Act to codify the reproductive rights that are now in peril thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court's right-wing majority. This week, I will again vote yes to advance debate on the Women's Health Protection Act, and I will support the bill if there is a vote on final passage in the future, Casey said in a statement. The Pennsylvania Democrats' statement was released just minutes after members of Lancaster Stands Up occupied his office in the state capitol. Now, Lancaster Stand Up tweeted, We are here in Senator Casey's office demanding he support the Women's Health Protection Act and end the filibuster to pass the bill. Follow our live stream on Instagram. Now, Managing Director of Justice Democrats Becca Rast tweeted, Minutes after this, Senator Bob Casey released a statement saying he will support the Women's Health Protection Act. Community pressure works. Thank you to every single Pennsylvanian who has pressured Senator Casey and Lancaster stand up for making this action happen. So that right there is how it's done. Now I want to put that picture back on the screen one more time because this is a relatively small group of people um, and I don't know how many people were there to be clear but still regardless if this group size was doubled and they just weren't on camera this small group of people made an enormous impact. They actually got a senator to change his mind. Imagine what you can do with a small group of friends. You can actually accomplish a lot. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, this isn't going to work on Manchin because, I mean, time after time, he's been protested. He's been heckled over the last year and he hasn't budged at all. But that doesn't mean that he won't be broken ever. It's just that there hasn't been a sufficient level of protests to make him uncomfortable enough. And maybe a sit-in wouldn't work with Manchin, but perhaps it might have a bigger impact on Lisa Murkowski or Susan Collins. I mean, she literally called the police when she saw chalk in front of her house. Uh, they wrote a pro-choice message and she called the cops. So perhaps, you know, public pressure would... Uh, make her change her mind faster. I'm not sure, but it's not like Joe Manchin is uh, incapable of changing his mind and no amount of pu public pressure is going to work. Again, you just have to exert the uh, right amount of public pressure, and it's clear it's going to take more on him to get him to buckle and change his mind. Um, so, you know, this is a really important learning uh, lesson, I think. You know, you can actually do a lot if you target senators and you protest them at the right time, you can get them to actually change their minds on issues. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in person if you can't travel. You can organize, you know, phone call uh, campaigns where you all call a senator's office at once. I mean, a lot of them will respond to public pressure. I know that a lot of us are kind of demoralized because we've exerted nonstop public pressure on Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin over the last year and they haven't buckled. But still, that's not the case for every single member of Congress. A lot of them do actually respond to public pressure. So, you know, overall, I'm not going to be too down about this vote because this is exactly what I expected. But it is interesting to know that even if they got rid of the filibuster because of Joe Manchin, they still would not be able to codify 
the most basic right that human beings should have control over their own bodily autonomy. Women will not have this right because of people like Joe Manchin refusing to get rid of the filibuster. And even if they, you know, were able to get Manchin on board to want to get rid of the filibuster, well, Kirsten Cinema doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. She supported this bill, but she wouldn't support it unless it got 60 votes, which tells you that she's not actually serious about codifying Roe into law. So, you know, the situation in Congress is absolutely ridiculous it's shameful but this is where we're at i think that these activists who protested senator bob casey they're creating a blueprint that a lot of us should follow if we actually do want to have an impact on politics So we keep hearing about how American workers supposedly are lazy and they don't want to work. Lots of elites in particular are saying this. Notice how American workers aren't saying this because they know how hard that they work. But we're hearing this on Fox News. Janine Pirro said this a couple of weeks ago. Kim Kardashian said it a month or two ago. Nobody wants to work in this country. They're lazy. Elon Musk is now joining the chorus of elitists saying that Americans who are exploited, overworked and underpaid, they don't want to work at all. So he was talking about potential competitors to Tesla, and he zeroed in on the Chinese market, and he decided to take a random dig at American workers, which is just bizarre considering his workers made him the richest man on the planet. But here's what he said. I think there will be some very strong companies coming out of China. There is just a lot of super talented, hardworking people in China who strongly believe in manufacturing. He added, they won't just be burning the midnight oil. They will be burning the 3 a.m. oil. They won't even leave the factory type of thing. Whereas in America, people are trying to avoid going to work at all. So first of all, it's not a good thing that Chinese workers are being worked to death at the behest of their corporate overlords. Second of all, you really have a lot of nerve, like the audacity of Elon Musk to claim that the workers who made him the richest man on the planet, they're just not doing enough. Yes, I'm the richest man to have ever lived, and it's still not enough. You could be making me more money. You could be working even harder. I mean, when will it be enough? And the answer is it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. Now, people's work ethic, it's gonna vary, right? Every person is different, but for the most part, human beings are hard workers. The same is true in America, the same is true in China. But like Chinese workers, American workers are also exploited. It's worse in China currently, but I mean, they all have this relationship that is exploitative and abusive with their employer and they can't get out, they're locked in and this employer controls their life. Because if you quit, then how do you feed yourself? How do you house yourself? So they don't have a say in the matter. So these companies, they take advantage of these workers and they work them to death, literally in many instances. And Elon Musk is saying, mm, it's just not enough. I like the way that workers are even more exploited in China. It's just, it's gross. This is capitalism, it's perverted, right? Capitalists have ravaged the planet. They've killed democracy in the United States, and they've commodified every single aspect of our lives. But understand how they will never be satisfied. They will never satiate their thirst for profits and wealth. It just keeps going. And even when you've bled your workers dry, even when you've bled Americans dry, you still demand more. Even though they're overworked and underpaid and productivity has increased while worker wages have stagnated, it's still not enough. Elites like Kim Kardashian and Elon Musk criticize workers. I mean, capitalism is a ruthless and barbaric system. And if we don't kill this economic system, it will kill all of us, literally, literally. Now he's praising a system in China, 
where workers oftentimes deal with worse situations than we see in America. As this 2011 article from the Daily Mail points out, an Apple manufacturing company, Foxconn, had to put up suicide nets at their factories after more than a dozen workers committed suicide due to horrific workplace conditions. And that article is old, but still workers in China are being exploited because they don't have a choice, not because they're virtuous and they enjoy just spending all of their waking hours at work. It's because they don't have a choice in the matter. A 2021 report from BBC explains, according to China's labor laws, a standard workday is eight hours long with a maximum of 44 hours a week. Any work beyond that requires extra pay or overtime, but this has not been well enforced. In many of the country's biggest firms, particularly in the thriving tech sector, employees often work far longer hours and are not always compensated. Employees have grumbled about their brutal schedules over the years, and some have even tried to fight back. In 2019, a group of programmers made headlines when they launched a campaign on code-sharing platform GitHub, blacklisting startups that overworked staff from using their open-source code. Yet, grueling 996 culture has carried on with the government taking a hands-off approach. After all, this same work ethic has also been credited as the driver of success for these firms, some of which have since become incredibly prominent on the world stage. Like Mr. Ma, who founded online retail giant Alibaba, e-commerce platform JD.com chief Richard Liu has previously defended this culture, hitting out at slackers. Now, Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, who became rich by exploiting his workers, claims that if you're part of this 996 culture, then it's really a blessing. Now, 996 culture means that you work uh, six days a week from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., meaning the overwhelming majority of the time you're working. That is a nightmare scenario. That is a nightmare. Now, this happens in the United States as well. Some workers at the Nabisco factory talked about how they haven't had a day off in months. But this is not something to be celebrated. This doesn't speak to the virtuous work ethic of workers in America or China. It shows that these companies are so ruthless, they don't care if they literally work their workers to death. Now, maybe things will start to change. The government has had to crack down because there's been a lot of backlash due to these really exploitative work practices. And, you know, the government hasn't done much. Again, it hasn't really been enforced. They've reminded these companies that what they're doing is illegal. So we'll have to wait and see if anything actually changes. But really, if it's going to change, it be, it's because the situation has essentially reached a tipping point. And workers, they literally can't take it anymore. Earlier this year, two employees at e-commerce platform Pinduoduo died weeks apart. A young worker collapsed on the way home after working long hours, while another died by suicide. And in January, a food delivery driver set himself on fire after he was allegedly denied $770 in overdue wages just one month after a worker had died while delivering meals for online platform Ely.me. And for many workers who are pulling in longer hours than ever amid the pandemic, enough was enough. Quote, I am so tired. I can't remember when I last saw daylight. Meanwhile, big companies are just getting richer. How is this fair? One user wrote on microblogging platform Weibo. So these companies are getting filthy, filthy rich. The heads of these companies are richer than any other human beings. And yet they claim that, oh, this is wonderful. It's a blessing if you're being worked to death and you're miserable. Elon Musk says, well, you know, because they don't want to work themselves to death in America, they must not want to work at all. It shows you how out of touch they are. And, you know, somebody who says something like this, this elitist, this despicable about the peasants, they should never be allowed to show their face in public again without being heckled and shamed and pointed and laughed at. But yet Elon Musk has so many simps. This is a 
worshipped in America because our capitalist mindset has deluded us into thinking that if we just work hard enough, we can be as rich as him. So why deride someone like Elon Musk when I could be the next Elon Musk? Newsflash for you, you're not going to be the next Elon Musk. There's a higher statistical likelihood that you will be hit by lightning or bitten by a shark or eaten by a shark, actually, than you'll become a billionaire. It's not going to happen. Just because it happened to him doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. We live in a late-stage capitalist dystopian hellscape. We are working ourselves to the bones. You're working every single day for a job that you hate, for not enough money to even pay the bills, and these assholes are saying you're not working enough. Imagine that. Imagine that. The audacity of these elites to not just say that it's wonderful to work yourselves to death, but it's also bad if you're against it. You're lazy. You don't want to work if you're against this level of exploitation. This is why international worker solidarity is very important because the struggle is consistent everywhere. What workers in China are dealing with is the same thing that workers in America are dealing with, in Canada, in Mexico, in Peru, in India. I mean, the worker struggle is something that is common. So, you know, if all of these people understand and recognize that there are more of them than there are of these elites then maybe things would actually change. But until then, they're going to keep talking down to you as you make them rich. Think about that. And yet they have many simps who will brigade this video and defend him. It's truly just a gross society that we live in. But, you know, capitalism, it's a virus that doesn't just, like, crush our institutions. It doesn't just uh, make every single element of our lives a commodified venture. It also warps a lot of people's brains. In essence, it's a cult. And until we choose to leave this cult, this is going to be what we have to look forward to. Nonstop misery and suffering at the behest of these uh, employers who want to get rich off of our suffering. So even though it feels relatively normal at this time with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic, cases are increasing across the country, but it's projected to get a lot worse come fall. As CNN reports, coronavirus wave this fall and winter could potentially infect 100 million people, White House warns. 100 million people. That's basically one in three Americans, give or take. That's horrifying. So obviously, we have to do everything to prepare for this. We don't necessarily know if this projection will bear out. I hope that this isn't actually something that comes to fruition, but it's a possibility. Public health experts are warning us that the time to take action is right now to prepare so that way we're not ambushed by another wave. So what is Congress doing to prepare? Well, uh, nothing. Instead, they've chosen to uh, pass welfare for large multi-billion dollar corporations. That's what they're doing instead of passing much-needed COVID-19 relief. As Jake Johnson of Common Dreams explains, on a bipartisan basis, Congress is moving ahead with legislation packed with tens of billions of dollars in subsidies for profitable U.S. tech corporations, while a smaller but desperately needed coronavirus aid measure languishes, potentially compromising the Biden administration's ability to purchase next-generation vaccines and hampering the global pandemic fight. Last week, the Senate voted on a range of non-binding motions related to the United States Innovation and Competition Act 
Act, which has been billed as an effort to boost U.S. manufacturing and technological development to compete with China. Different versions of the bill have passed the House and Senate, and the two chambers are currently working to reconcile the bills and iron out specific policy disputes in a conference committee. Where most congressional lawmakers appear to have found common ground, though, is in the realm of corporate subsidies. In its current form, the U.S. ICA contains roughly $52 billion in subsidies for the nation's microchip industry, money that would flow to companies such as Intel. So $52 billion going to these companies that are already massively, massively profitable. Now, how much is the Biden administration requesting in aid? Just $22 billion. That's it. It's less than half the cost of Twitter. But they won't do that. But they'll give $52 billion without question to these large multi-billion dollar companies. That's where their priorities lie. They'd rather deliver for their donors than actually help the people who elected them. Now, uh, Bernie Sanders, bless his heart, has tried to make this less bad. So he tried to put a condition on this corporate welfare and say, well, let's just not give it to anyone who's a union buster. Any company who has violated labor laws, let's not give them this corporate subsidy. And members of both parties in the Senate overwhelmingly voted that down overwhelmingly. So Bernie Sanders also tried to just take out $10 billion that specifically would go to Jeff Bezos for his dick rocket company. And guess what? They voted that down too. This is the second richest man on the planet. And Congress is giving him $10 billion for no reason. Bernie Sanders says, let's not put that in there because it's kind of ridiculous. And they say, no. Congress, they know how to get stuff done. We often hear that Congress, you know, they uh, they just they're gridlocked. They can't act. There's too much hyperpolarization. But make no mistake about it, they know how to get things done. It's just they don't know how to deliver for you, and they exclusively work at the behest of their corporate donors. Now, what happens if they actually don't deliver and they don't approve this $22 billion worth of COVID relief. Well, as CNBC reports, U.S. will limit next generation COVID vaccines to high risk people this fall if Congress doesn't approve more funding. In other words, if there's a new variant and you need another booster or if Moderna's new vaccine, which targets Omicron, gets authorized, um, you're not going to be able to get that unless you're at high risk. But I'm sure there's going to be more than enough doses for every single member of Congress. So we're all going to be left high and dry in the event there is a severe COVID wave this fall and winter. And what are they doing? Nothing. But they're going to protect themselves. I promise you that. Because as L. Ron Mexico tweets out, this country will put kindergartners into debt for eating lunch and drill teens on how to fight off school shooters. But if a senator sees sidewalk chalk or a judge hears protesters, the full force of the state rushes to coddle and protect them. And he's exactly correct. Now he's referring to the Senate uh, rushing through a plan to give every single member of the Supreme Court and their family members a security detail. This passed quickly with unanimous consent. But when it comes to what we need, we don't get it. But when it comes to what corporations need, this happens. The Washington Post reported Tuesday that nearly every Senate Democrat voted with Republicans to restore a tax cut that benefits corporate America as part of the USICA. Sanders was one of five senators who voted against the motion, which was sponsored by Senator Maggie Hassan. So if it benefits them and their donors, they can get it done. But if it benefits us, they can't do it. Now, if you're wondering who the other four senators were who voted against that, it was Elizabeth Warren, Ed Markey, Cory Booker, and Republican Senator Mike Lee. Even my senator, Jeff Merkley, who's usually progressive, voted uh, for that corporate tax cut. So needless to say, I'm going to have some questions next time he holds a town hall. But this is the state 
of American politics. Anything that corporate America wants, they get like that. But when we want it, they tell us, you can't have it. Sorry, we just don't have the votes. Vote harder for us next time. Vote in new people. It's just a nightmare situation. And um, it's predictable, but at the same time, just having it be very predictable and, and expected doesn't make it feel any better. Imagine if this really does bear out and there are 100 million COVID-19 cases from fall to winter and there's a new vaccine that we need but we can't get it. Can you imagine how bad that's going to get? How many lives will needlessly end because Congress wouldn't act and pass a measly $22 billion in COVID relief? It's just, uh, it's, it's gross, but this is what it's like to be an American. They help themselves and their donors while you get to suffer. President Joe Biden spoke at a DNC fundraiser and he basically warned everyone that things are going to get very bad in this country because of the Supreme Court and how relentless they will be in going after our rights. And he says, mark my words, marriage equality is on the chopping block. Let's look at what he said specifically. CNN reports, it's not just the brutality of taking away a woman's right to her body, but it also, if you read the opinion, basically says there's no such thing as the right to privacy. If that holds, mark my words, they are going to go after the Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage, said Biden, speaking at a Democratic National Committee fundraiser in Chicago, according to Pull Reports. The court, he said, would do the same for Griswold v. Connecticut, the 1965 ruling in which the Supreme Court said the Constitution protects the right to marital privacy privacy against state restrictions on contraception. The high court's decision on abortion, Biden suggested, could generate some enthusiasm at the ballot box in November and help Democrats pick up seats in the Senate and House. But the president acknowledged troubling economic news that has put his administration on the defensive in recent days. We can't let this happen, guys. And it's going to be hard because inflation is going to scare the living hell out of everybody, Biden said. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. First and foremost, he's absolutely correct on the substance. The Supreme Court will target all of our rights, and that really makes for a horrifying situation because this country and all of its institutions will continue to hemorrhage legitimacy. And when that happens, we see the breakdown of democracy, the breakdown of the regime itself. So if we get all of these rights taken away from us that generations before me and my generation has fought for decades to win, I mean, think about what that does. Think about what that tells us about this country. And even if we fight and win these rights back, it tells us that nothing is sacred. It's going to be a constant battle, even in the future, and anything is possible. Social security can be taken away from us. Medicare can be taken away from us. There's a current plot to privatize it that Trump started and Biden is continuing currently. We can win Medicare for all one day and then the Supreme Court or, you know, these rogue Republicans, they can take it away from us in some way, shape or form. So anything that we fight to accomplish can be taken away from us like that. And that does not make for a healthy system. That does not make for long lasting institutions. It signals the breakdown of not just democracy, but society itself. So it's it's horrifying to think about this and think about what the Supreme Court is going to do to this country. But when it comes to Joe Biden, the president of the United States, who currently holds power, saying this, you can't just tell us that bad things are going to happen to us and then not commit to fight for us. You can't just say, hey, it's going to get bad. Wish I could do something about it, but um, vote harder because he's admitting here, look, we want 
to expand the uh, majority that we have, even though it's not really a majority because you have Kirsten Sinema and uh, Joe Manchin, who are effectively Republicans. But he knows because of inflation, you know, Republicans will try to run on that and they'll try to deflect and make the election not about abortion or issues that voters care about. But I mean, as president, he's admitting that, look, the window where we have power is closing and it's going to get bad. So, man, I'm crossing my fingers and I hope that the election turns out my way. I mean, he's not saying this, obviously, but that's the implication. And you can't you can't do that. If you actually know what's at stake and you are acknowledging how bad it's going to get, now that you're in power, use this opportunity today, not tomorrow, not the next day, not a month from now, not after November, but today to do absolutely everything in your power to prevent that from happening. You can't just tell us it's going to get bad and then say nothing else after that. There has to be a but. It's going to get bad, but as president of the United States right now, I'm going to do everything in my power to not just stop the Supreme Court and Republicans from taking away your rights, but I'm going to make sure that we win this election. So I'm going to start by doing things that improve the lives of the American people. Now, the question is, how does he get anything done if you have people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema in your own party sabotaging your agenda? Well, he can do a lot with his pen, he could take executive action unilaterally, and it would make a gigantic difference. So the first and most important thing that he needs to do is galvanize young people because they usually are make or break for every single election. So what can he do to get out young people? We all know he can cancel student debt. As Truthout explains, a recent morning console poll found Biden's extended pause on federal student loan interest and payments is popular, but that the president could reap rewards by going even further. According to another poll, nearly half of voters in the battleground states of Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin would be either somewhat more likely or much more likely to vote in November if President Biden canceled $10,000 in student loan debt. That likelihood of voting increases by 11 points when asked if all student loan debt should be canceled. Canceled. So let's just pause right there. An 11 point jump would be massive. That could actually change this entire election. It could turn it around for Democrats. But he's not going to do that. He said he's not even going to cancel 50,000. So canceling all of it is out of the question, apparently. So think about how, how insufferable it is. Uh, he's admitting to us that he has the authority to cancel student loans, but he's just going to cancel 10,000. He knows that you want him to cancel all of it. He knows that there's going to be political benefits to canceling all of it, but he's choosing to not do that. Does that sound like a president who actually wants to hold on to this majority or expand it? But there's more that he can do. So two thirds of Americans want cannabis legalized for recreational purposes under federal law. Biden can remove cannabis from Schedule 1 with executive action, and then he can call on Congress to put a bill on his desk to make it legal in all 50 states. If you can do that, like if you did that, can you imagine how motivated people would be in all of these states? Not just young people, older people as well. Like, can you imagine they think, wow, I want to vote for him because he's going to do something that is incredible. He already, you know, showed us that he's serious about this by descheduling cannabis. So, I mean, if he's serious and he just needs more senators who will go along with this, then sure, I'm going to vote for Democrats. Like, this is not, like, just to be clear, it's not a guarantee that all of these strategies will work. But if you actually believe that your majority is in danger, then you have to do everything in your power to deliver. And 
let's be very clear. You shouldn't be doing this just because your majority is in danger. You should doing these good. Th you should be doing these things to benefit the American people because it's just morally right. It's objectively good. Delivering for the people is what you should be doing as a public servant. But still, if you want to do it for political reasons, I don't care. What I care about is you do it. And that could save this election. It could turn it around. But he's not going to do it. But let's assume for a second that he did do this. He did everything in his power. And, you know, it still looked as if he's going to lose this election. Well, do you just tell us that bad things are going to happen and then you do nothing about it? No. You say, look, as president of the United States, I'm not going to stand idly by and watch your rights be taken away from you. We saw what they did with Roe. So we know what's going to happen with marriage equality and contraception. So here's what I'm saying. I want a bill on my desk right now so we can codify marriage equality into law before it's too late. And also let's sign the Equality Act into law because that's something that I promised I would do right when I was elected and I never fulfilled that promise. Now, that's probably gonna fail too, but explain it to the American people. Listen, we didn't have the votes, but I tried. I spoke with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. I threatened them. I tried to, uh, you know, bring them on board with my agenda using carrots. That didn't work. I tried sticks, so it failed. But I'm still not going to give up. Now, we're going to hold rallies across the country to galvanize the American people because we all agree that marriage equality should remain the law of the land. So all of us can agree that the Supreme Court should absolutely not impose their theo theocratic views on all of us. So let's hold rallies across the country and make sure that the momentum for this issue doesn't die, that we put pressure on these uh, saboteurs in my party who are stopping us from codifying Obergfell v. Hodges. There is nothing stopping him from doing these things. Trump held rallies when he was still president, and that kept the base consistently engaged. It's probably one of the most, you know, um, savvy political things that Trump did. But we don't see that from Biden. Even if you fight and you fail, that still does wonders because it shows us that you have it in you to fight. But currently in the White House, there's just no sign of life there. There's nothing. Biden's just saying, hey, they're going to take away more of your rights. Good luck. You can't say that to us when you're the president and you have power right now. Again, it's not like they have a real majority with Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. But you've given up on issue after issue. You couldn't even pass voting rights, which is the bare minimum thing that you can do to maintain this democracy that puts weight behind the words vote when you tell constituents to vote time and again whenever they're frustrated with what's happening in this country. So I feel like I shouldn't have to give the president of the United States a fucking pep talk on every episode. You ran for this job. You wanted the job. Now fight. Don't just tell us it's going to get bad. Fight. And if you lose, at least we know that you tried. But I don't even see... You trying. I don't even see a spark there. Show us that you're willing to fight and people will reward you for that. In a recent podcast episode, Joe Rogan is going to defend his use of the word grooming as it relates to LGBTQ plus teachers. So he's going to claim that it's really important that him and his right wing buddies continue to use this specific terminology because, I mean, what if an LGBTQ plus teacher does want to groom children? What if somebody uses the LGBTQ plus moniker to get close to your kids and groom them? Now, everything that he says here is deeply rooted in homophobia, but nevertheless, he thinks that really this is about protecting children 
And that's all that this is about. There's no way that the don't say gay law can be too purposefully vague and end up discriminating against gay people and force them back into the closets. Like he's going to miss all of that and claim, mm, really, I care about children. But I'm going to explain to you why this is an incredibly disingenuous argument when we come back because of the elephant in the room that he's leaving out. Take a look. How do you feel about education? I think it's critical. It's very important. Yeah. How do you feel about indoctrination by people that are educators? I don't like that at all. There's just two diff very different things. Right. And if you want to tell me that they're the same thing, I say, fuck you. Because right. they're not. Because there's a lot of crazy people that wind up being teachers. Someone said to me that, um, or I've read this, uh, not all, you know, the term groomer, a lot of people don't like that term online. They're very upset. Yeah, yeah. But they're real. Right. There are groomers. You, you don't like it? Do you not like it because you don't want children to be groomed? Or do you not like it because it's a pejorative that's used against the left? Which is, I think, more likely. Yeah. Well, here's what's more important. Not have people groom your fucking kids. <laughs> that's what's more important than you getting uncomfortable with this word because it's used by people on the right. Like, I saw someone... As an argument, someone who I think is an intelligent person say that there should be a block against using the word groomer. Unbelievable. No, no, there should be no groomers. How right. about that? And this is what they wrote. They said, not all teachers are groomers, but a lot of groomers are teachers. There you go. And that's real. Yeah. That's a real fucking problem. I mean, constantly teachers are getting arrested for exposing themselves to children, for masturbating in front of children, for sending nude pictures in front of children. Every couple days there's a new one that pops up in the news. And how many of those people haven't been caught yet? And how many of those people are out there? And how many of those people are doing it under the guise of I'm an LBGTQ uh, educator and- I'm you know, keeping a tally of the amount of hate mail that you're going well, to be getting. Well, good luck, I don't read it. <laughs> I, it's the. There's people that are good people in all walks of life, trans people, yeah. gay people, straight people, bisexual, whatever the f you are. There's good people in all walks of life. There's also pieces of shit that will use those labels in order to get closer to groups of people and indoctrinate them and indoctrinate them for their own sexual pleasure. And that's real. So you don't like uh, kindergarten teachers talking about uh, gender identity? Well, I think your... it's important, and I think everyone should know it. I think it's like that's why that whole uh, the what they were calling the "Don't Say Gay" bill yeah. in Florida was so infuriating. Yeah, like when you're saying that you're you you oppose any sort of legislation that prevents people from talking about sex and gender identity and sexual orientation with people that are first grade through third grade you oppose anything that restricts that I go okay w w who are you talking about because if this is open-ended I've had some f idiots for teachers when I grew up can you imagine if those f idiots were trying to convince your child that they should be homosexual or that they should even be straight Imagine if you have a kid that's gay. Never mind you have convincing. A, but, How about just don't address, don't, right. don't talk don't. about this issue. But that's my point. My yeah. point is, imagine if you have a gay child and you have a f teacher that's trying to indoctrinate your child into the world of heterosexuality and convince your child that they're going to burn in hell right. if that child is gay. Imagine how furious you would be. Right. Well, it works the other way too. Right. Right? It does. It works the other way. There's... You should be really good to be able to talk, really good at what you do. If you want to talk to a f 
seven year old about gender identity and sex and we I've seen some of these people with lip rings and yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. blue hair they clearly are ideologically bound I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the way they live their life I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them pursuing whatever sexual identity they have and living their life but I'm saying you should not be the person that talks to children about this yeah. especially if you're a history teacher <laughs> yeah and you're the last person joe rogan who should be talking about vaccines given how misinformed you are but you couldn't shut up about that for like a year so you know some people just won't stay in their lanes so it's ironic for you to make that point but he's going to claim that indoctrination is bad no disagreement there we have common ground actually uh the problem is that he's not being honest about who does the indoctrination it's not LGBTQ plus people who are indoctrinating your children. It's the right. I mean, from as young as I could remember, I had religion pumped into my brain and it made me absolutely miserable. So if you care about children and you're talking about indoctrination, it's really dishonest of you to conveniently leave out your right wing buddies and how much they love religion and how at a very young age they pump religion into the brains of children. But yet you claim that LGBTQ plus people might wanna indoctrinate your children, but that's not something that can happen. It doesn't happen, and that's because it's literally impossible because you don't choose to be gay or transgender. You can't choose your sexual orientation. You don't choose to have gender dysphoria. And if it were a choice, I'd argue that because society is not accepting of LGBTQ people, I mean, it's, it's improving, right? But because society still you know, stigmatizes these groups, most people would choose to not be gay or transgender if they had that choice, but it's not a choice. But really what this is about is LGBTQ plus teachers uh, not indoctrinating children, but instilling values into children. I mean, teachers are going to instill values in kids. When I was in kindergarten, I remember my teacher telling me about sharing and how it's based. Uh, so if a kid uh, asks, about the photograph on their teacher's desk and it's you know it features two guys and that teacher explains well this is my partner this is my spouse and that teacher instills respect and acceptance into that child that's a good thing that's just teaching that kid to be a good person to be loving and accepting it's not grooming that kid but the don't say gay bill is so purposefully vague that it doesn't just rule out sexual discussions which people aren't advocating for in grades k through three it basically makes it so that way these teachers have to pretend as if gay and trans people don't exist so as to not break the law it's forcing people back into the closet so if a kid sees her teacher at the store and she's with her same-sex partner then she could say who was that you were with was that your friend and then if the teacher answers honestly and says that was my wife that teacher could be fired under this law. We don't know what the parameters are. It's purposefully vague so as to scare teachers back into the closet. And that's what Joe Rogan refuses to acknowledge. Now, he also says here that the term groomer, a lot of people don't like that term online. They're very upset, but they're real. There are groomers. Nobody's denying this. Nobody's denying the existence of groomers. And we also think that grooming is indeed bad. Of course, sexually grooming children is bad. The problem is that telling a kid that gay people exist in an age-appropriate way is not tantamount to sexually grooming a kid. If you believe that, then you also have to believe that if uh, two parents, a mommy and a daddy, kiss in front of their kids, then they're also sexually grooming their kid. But nobody would say that. 
they would say, oh, well, that's actually really lovely because you're showing that kid what a loving relationship looks like. But if it's a gay couple that kisses in front of kids, all of a sudden, it's a different story. See, it's a double standard. That's grooming, but when straight people do it, it's not grooming. And this is all deeply rooted in homophobia. You know, if a kid sees that gay people exist or trans people exist, they're going to think it's so amazing. They're going to be lured into it and they're going to want to try it. Not how it works. Not how it works at all. He also says that, um, do, do people not like it because it's a pejorative used against the left? He asks this question and I love that he just admits that it's a pejorative now used against the left. So, I mean, that's, if you're making the case for this word, I think that you should probably define it first of all, but he goes on to say, here's what's more important not have people groom your kids i mean yeah these aren't mutually exclusive you can be against the incorrect use of the word grooming and also be against literal grooming i mean can you find very many people who would just be like yeah i think that grooming is good I don't think I've ever met anyone who has this view, at least publicly anyways, because that would be absurd. Reasonable people are against adults sexually grooming children. That's predatory. That's gross. Nobody wants that. But you're claiming that the people against the don't say gay bill are at least implying that they want to groom children sexually. And that's why they're against the don't say gay bill, because it stops them from grooming children. But that's not the case. This bill, now law, it creates a solution for a problem that does not exist. The goal is to put teachers back into the closet if they're LGBTQ. Because if they do teach uh, these children that, yeah, I have a same-sex partner, yeah, I'm non-binary, yeah, I'm transgender, then that kid might think, oh, well, I guess that's not bad because I have a teacher who's lovely who's non-binary. And they don't want that. They don't want society to accept gay people, non-binary people. So they're the ones doing the indoctrination because they don't want people to accept individuals who are different. That's what this is about. It stems from homophobia and transphobia. It's deeply anti-LGBTQ+. But Joe Rogan is deluded enough to think that Republicans actually care about children. Is that so? If you care about uh, children, Joe Rogan, why do you not talk about the grooming that we see in, in the Catholic Church? I mean, how many evangelicals are Catholics? I mean, is that not part of your political wing now? Catholics and the sex abuse scandal, grooming children. They're the ones literally indoctrinating children into a religion and grooming them. And yet, you're talking about LGBTQ plus people as if they're the predators. No, that's not the case. So you're lying. You're being dishonest and you're lying through admission, Joe Rogan. Everything that he's saying stems from the homophobic belief that being gay is a choice. It stems from this belief that gay people are predators and they want to prey on your children. So really, you should keep them away from your children. And it's all homophobic. He might not think that he's homophobic because he believes that gay people should have equal rights. But the things that he believes are the product of homophobia. And now he's taking the homophobic values instilled in him and he's spreading it to his audience of 11 million people. So they now think, well, yeah, I guess that gay people can turn people gay and maybe we should stop them from grooming kids when that's not happening. It's just, it's, uh, it's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, so he says there should be no groomers. How about that? Sure. I don't know how you, you eliminate groomers, but I'm with you if you can figure it out. Absolutely, we should not have grooming, for sure. But telling kids that gay people exist is not grooming. 
that's the thing that he needs to acknowledge. He adds, um, not all teachers are groomers, but a lot of groomers are teachers, and that's real. That's a real problem. I mean, constantly, teachers are getting arrested for exposing themselves to children and all this. Um, okay, you're making a generalization about teachers that is unfounded, it's not backed up by data, and you're implying that these things that teachers have been caught doing, that some teachers have been caught doing, is something that the left approves of. Do you honestly think that you're going to tell the left this and they're going to they're gonna say, oh, well, we want teachers to be able to do that? Nobody wants this to happen to kids, Joe. You're talking about all of these horrible things that teachers have done as if the left and LGBTQ plus people think that they're good. No, we don't think that they're good. No, we don't want teachers to sexually abuse children, Joe. We shouldn't have to say it. But the don't say gay bill conflates kids knowing about the existence of LGBTQ plus people with actual grooming and abuse of children. And that's bigoted, that's homophobic, that's transphobic. But you're okay with that. Also, he says, and how many of those people are doing it under the guise of I'm an LGBTQ educator? So um, that right there is the worst part because he's tacitly admitting that he believes in the gay predator myth. He believes that, um, you know, gay people actually wanna prey on your children. Well, I mean, uh, if we wanted to really generalize, more straight men abuse children. So can we just claim that, you know, you're more of a threat to children than gay men, Joe? No, nobody's saying that because that would be preposterous. Because bad things happen, that doesn't automatically denote general applicability if somebody from a marginalized community or even not in a marginalized community does it. But Joe Rogan, he doesn't like understand this. He is duped by the Republicans who pretend as if this is about protecting kids when really this is about demonizing LGBTQ plus people. Nobody's saying that you should teach uh, gay sex to children in grades K through three. Nobody is saying that or advocating for that. But notice how he ends up contradicting himself. So he takes issue with the moniker, don't say gay, because that's not actually an appropriate label. And then Gadsad says, uh, well, never mind convincing. How about you just don't talk about this issue? And then he says, that's my point. So don't say gay. You don't like that um, <laughs> they're talking about this issue, but you don't like that it's called don't say gay. You're literally saying that they shouldn't talk about gay issues. And when I say gay issues, again, I'm referring to age appropriate conversations. If Sally notices that her classmate Steve has two mommies, then the teacher can explain that in an elementary way. She doesn't have to explain, well, yeah, those are two lesbians and this is what they do in the bedroom. Like that's not what we're saying. But Joe Rogan, like, he's so dense, he can't get it through his thick skull that these types of conversations come up for gay people in the same way that they come up for, you know, straight people. Just like a kid with a mommy and a daddy might see a kid with just a mommy, maybe the parents will have to have that conversation. You know, some, some you know, kids only have one parent. Some kids have two same-sex parents. Like, these are conversations that will come up because as kids, they ask questions, they're curious. But the Don't Say Gay Bill says, mm, can't acknowledge the existence of any LGBTQ plus people because we don't want to turn these kids gay. Because if they learn about it, they're going to turn gay like that. That's how it works, definitely. It's like a magical spell, almost. I mean, be for real. Be real. Uh, he also said, my point is, imagine if you have a gay child and you have a fucking teacher that's trying to indoctrinate your child into the world of heterosexuality. Okay, interesting. Uh, and convince your child that they are going to burn in hell if that child is gay. Imagine how furious you would be. Well, it works the other way, too. Um, except 
which one of those things happens all the time and then which one of those things happens never i mean are, are you serious how often do we see gay people proselytizing and, and telling kids well this is why you should be gay let me sell it to you here's my pitch that's not happening it's not fucking happening but you pretend as if it's happening and then you claim oh well you don't like how we indoctrinate kids into religion and teach them that being gay is bad and they're gonna burn in hell so you wouldn't like if the opposite were true but it's not happening the opposite is not happening can you cite one example even an anecdote of a gay person selling homosexuality to children in particular telling kids hey kids here's why you should be gay you can't it's not happening so i mean joe rogan is saying all of this because he believes the homophobic lies that he was probably fed uh growing up and even though he thinks that he's in support of lgbtq plus rights now which he's explicitly anti-trans to be clear but like even though he thinks he's in support of like gay marriage um all of his beliefs here stem from deeply rooted homophobia he believes the gay predator myth he believes that being gay is a choice when your sexuality is not a choice he could test that out by trying to have sex with a man if you don't enjoy it then you disproved that it's not a choice and you can't change it so i mean joe rogan he 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 said something in there that kind of stood out to me you know gad said said you're gonna get a lot of hate mail for this and he said i don't care i don't read it well maybe that's the problem joe i mean you don't have to read hate mail but maybe remove yourself from the bubble that you're in actually talk to anyone who's gay maybe talk to somebody who is a leftist for a change talk to someone outside of your bubble talk to someone who isn't just going to affirm every bad opinion that you have talk to someone who's not going to be your yes man but he won't because when you get rich you kind of get insulated from criticism and at some point i don't know if it's when you hit like 50 million or 100 million like you become like almost you, you get this god complex in a way and i'm kind of psychoanalyzing joe rogan to an extent but like he doesn't allow criticism and you can tell that his show has deteriorated as a result because now he just sounds like any elitist right-wing pu uh, pundit he's out of touch he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about but he thinks that he knows what he's talking about and if you try to challenge him then you're wrong how dare you challenge joe rogan i don't even listen to the criticism so i mean okay don't listen to the criticism but that doesn't mean that we're not going to criticize you because what you're saying is wrong and it is homophobic when it comes to marjorie taylor green and lauren bobert you'd think that they are probably bffs right i mean they're in the same freshman class in congress they're both former QAnon members possible current QAnon members. They're both insurrectionists. They have the same far-right beliefs. They're extremists. They're also both very stupid. So you'd think, how are they not like inseparable? But apparently the opposite is true. There's bad blood between Marjorie Greene and Lauren Boebert, and they got into a verbal match that was so heated during a Freedom House caucus meeting that they had to be separated and people feared that it would escalate. So I had no idea that this happened. This story is from the end of April, but it totally flew under the radar. But I've got to share this with you. As Olivia Beavers from Politico writes, privately, Republicans say Boebert, who's seen as more of a party team player than Green, detests being tied to her Georgia colleague. And when the House Freedom Caucus Board of Directors gathered last month at its usual spot a few blocks from the Capitol, the two tangled over Green's appearance at a February event organized by a known white nationalist. Their confrontation grew so heated that at least one 
one onlooker feared the green Bobert back and forth might escalate beyond the verbal cage match had another board member not stepped in to de-escalate, according to a GOP lawmaker who was granted anonymity to describe what happened. The incident was confirmed by three people connected to the Freedom Caucus, whose members largely avoided public criticism of Green and Representative Paul Gosar at the time and focused their discontent on the event organizer Nick Fuentes. Still, not everyone in the Freedom Caucus sees Boebert and Green as distinct. When both leapt to their feet during President Joe Biden's State of the Union this year to chant for a border wall, one day after their board meeting clash, a viral photo captured Representative Brian Donald sitting between them, looking uncomfortable with the display. Very, very interesting. So, you know, the private dynamic is a little bit different than the public dynamic because, you know, they've both kind of one-upped each other or piggybacked off of one another when they were, or when Lauren Boebert specifically was attacking Ilhan Omar and was calling her part of the Jihad squad, Marjorie Green jumped in. They both were yelling at Joe Biden like un unhinged fools during the State of the Union. So, you know, it's interesting that behind the scenes, they actually don't like each other. And it stems from a disagreement about Marjorie Greene's appearance at uh, the white nationalist equivalent of uh, the conservative uh, political action conference, or what is it? Uh, CPAC, CPAC. You know, uh, she doesn't think that it was appropriate for Marjorie Greene to go to uh, that white nationalist alternative to CPAC. And um, I don't know if it's because she disagrees with Nick Fuentes, because I think that if you press her, she probably would agree with at least some of what he had to say. But um, more importantly, I think that she doesn't like the optics, right? It's an optics nightmare because what Republicans are doing is they're trying to slowly introduce more explicit white supremacy to their base. But you can't just jump right in, right? They, they've dipped their toes in. They've dipped their ankles in. But if you jump in all at once, then you kind of give up the game. And I think that Lauren Boebert, as dumb as she is, is at least savvy enough to acknowledge that you can't really go full white hood. Like showing up at this event kind of proves what the left has been saying about the Republican Party, that they're all a bunch of racists. So, you know, we can't continue to have plausible deniability and say racist things about the squad and uh, people in this country if you're going to literally go to white nationalist events. So you destroy our credibility when you do that. So that's what I'm assuming Lauren Boebert was, you know, um, heated about. And Marjorie Greene, you know, she would never back down from anything because she can never admit that she's wrong. So she decided to push back. But what's interesting is how intense that exchange got between the two of them. Um, I wonder if Lauren Boebert feels the same about Gozor or she just holds this animosity towards Green because they're kind of lumped together for good reason. It's really fascinating to me. And to be clear, this story has no substance whatsoever, but it's one of those junk food stories where it's not really going to do much for um, you when it comes to substance and being informed, but it's it's uh, food for the soul. It makes you feel better about this country to see that these goons are ripping each other apart. Uh, you know, I can't help but think, let them fight. I hope it continues, uh, you know, and I'll leave that there. This is just an interesting little story that, um, for whatever reason, put a smile on my face. I, I hope that this beef between them continues, and I hope that it gets public. Want more? Visit HumanistReport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, 
and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.